0: Hey, we have uh, <laughs> we have a guest speaker today, you know. Um, we were meeting in a little tiny building on uh, Post Road in Warwick, Knights of Columbus Hall. And this is around 1990, 1991, and we had a guest speaker come from Gospel for Asia. His name was Terry Jones. I was reminded of his name. And were any of you here back at that time in 19... 19- 90 or so. Do you remember a Gospel for Asia speaker? Anyways, uh, the couple back there. I don't know those two, but um, they came and spoke to us. And, you know, we we have been involved uh, with Gospel for Asia really since th- about that time, about 1990, 1991, which makes it how many years? A long time, like 20 years, you know. And, and Gospel for Asia is a ministry that, that uh, supports... Um, uh Indigenous ministers and missionaries, men and women, to go out and, and preach the gospel, and uh, it, it's a, it's just a phenomenal, incredible work that uh, is going on there, and, and it has grown, and and uh, they're facing, you know, incredible things. But you know, the persecution as well has has ramped up in in that part of the world, but. Uh, God has uh, used it to reach incredible in, you know, in Asia uh, and the subcontinent of India. You know, there's a billion people and and uh, what, there's like 500,000 villages, something like that. And uh, to have somebody who knows the language to actually go and begin to preach the gospel there is kind of like how this all began, and they have uh, just uh, incredible. But they began to to reach out and stretch into different areas to... Um, and we were hearing a, a few different uh, ones last night, and I'm sure John will share with a little, uh, little bit about us, about those things with us too. Um, but um, we, we support as a church like five different of these native missionaries they call them, and from time to time um, we they kind of graduate and they don't need support anymore. Their church becomes self-supporting, and that's the goal. And then we get a different missionary. And so we've, we've, you know, Cynthia kind of keeps track of that, right? And uh, so we get different people and, and uh, it's just been exciting to watch over the years and just to be faithful to support and to be a part of that ministry. But at some point in time, we also decided um, <clears throat> to help support John and Kathy. And I was, as I was sharing last time and uh, different, uh, in an email as well, that, that, uh, you know, we support the missionaries at Gospel for Asia, but we also support John and Kathy who are like serving the missionaries. So not only do we support the missionaries, but we also support those who support the missionaries. I've known John and I see John uh, every year in in California. And, uh, you know, these people are just uh, the real deal. And and this ministry is the real deal. And if, if I could have one min- ministry that I would want to support, it would probably be Gospel for Asia. And I'm not saying that to try to raise support, it's just that's the way I feel. It's real. And uh, John is a good friend. And, and Kathy, I, I've seen her only a couple times, one time in Texas and then here in Rhode Island. So let's all welcome with a good Rhode Island welcome, um, John and Kathy Beers.
1: Thank you. So, why did the blonde cross the river? No. No, no. I saw, saw. Okay. You're the president?
2: Uh, yes, I am.
1: <laughs> wow. We need to talk right after the service. Could <laughs> This may be real, but it's getting lesser and lesser and lesser all the time. Hey, it's really good to be back. How many of you were here five years ago? Okay, because I was here five years ago too. How many were last week? Just okay. How many are going to be here next week? Just, okay. It's getting good. So, um, hey, it's your privilege to be back. Um, as Pastor Rich mentioned, I the privilege to see him at the Senior Pastors Conference every year, and um, he's always one I look forward to grabbing. You know, at least one meal with and sit down and talk. he's just been a great friend for a long time and you guys are blessed by somebody who you know loves the Lord and uh, wants to be a servant to you and that's obvious just from his life so um, sometimes you get so close to people you don't realize how blessed you are but see I've only been here just a few times when I come here I can see it see so you're blessed um, I want to say thank you for all that you've done for my family. Uh, I don't I was trying to think back of when that started but it I have such a hard time remembering last week, um, but you guys have been a blessing to us as a family and to us as a ministry for many, many, many years. And you know, by God's grace, right now we're seeing an average of about 16 churches planted every single day on the mission field, between five and six thousand churches per year. So you have to factor that back to 20, whatever years ago that was, and realize the incredible impact that you've had. On countries like india and bhutan and burma and bangladesh and all these places and not until we get to heaven are you really going to understand the impact but guys i guarantee you when we get there there's going to be a party and you're going to be thrilled beyond belief when you look at the faces that have had the privilege to know jesus uh, that will have the privilege to worship before the lord for eternity with you so on behalf of them thank you so much and you know i do this now well, last 20 years, about maybe 30 or 35 weekends a year, travel somewhere um, to share. And uh, you know how oftentimes there's just kind of radical folks that, you know, they hear your schedule. And there's been a few times that people have wanted to encourage me and said some things like, you know, you're worse than an infidel because I'm gone so much and... You know, your, your family's all going to be perished because, you know, you're never home and that kind of thing. And honestly, if you knew me, until I came on ministry, I never went anywhere. We, I didn't even go to the men's conferences at our church because I just wanted to stay home. And uh, hate to fly and actually just went over three million miles with American Airlines a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. And if there's ever one person you've ever met that shouldn't be standing before you talk, it would be me. I mean, I was so scared to death. You know, in high school or college, you know, speech classes, you go up and you stand there. You have three minutes, right? So I just stand there until the clock went away. I never said anything. And then I walked away from the puddle on the floor, you know, and then went and sat down. Got an incomplete every... (laughs) Um, So it's really God's sense of humor um, that that I'm here or have done any of this. And, you know, God doesn't choose the greatest. He chooses the least. And uh, then he gets all the glory. And so I have a picture I want to share with you. Just I mentioned to you about the family. Actually, I have it with me here. But if you want to bring that first one up, um, well, I won't look out here. This is my family. Uh, by God's grace that you've supported. Each one of our kids, you know, as they've grown up, um, left high school, have come to us and said that they feel like the Lord would have them serve in the ministry with us. And so um, I have the privilege to serve the Lord with all four of my girls. And, you know, after each one of them has told us they felt called by God, you know, we began to pray that the Lord would bring them somebody to whom they could be equally yoked. Because, you know, for most people, that means another believer. Uh, But for us, because of the calling in our life, we felt that meant somebody that's called to the same ministry. Because just because you look at a guy and think he's really cute, or guys just because you look at a girl and think she's really cute, that doesn't mean God's call in your life changes. Um, And so, by God's grace, a year ago, September Um, Terry, who's the young lady on that end, uh, she married Julian, who's in our web department, and then last September, Heather, who's on the other side, uh, she married Preston, who's also in our web department. In in October I went to the web department and said, look, that's pretty much it. Um, You you ain't getting any more, Um, and so we had the incredible privilege, all eight of us, to serve the Lord together at Gospel for and it's just an incredible privilege. And that happened for probably three reasons. God's grace, people who prayed like you folks, and because of my wife. Um, KP is very good to tell me virtually every time he sees me, they loves my kids, and it has absolutely nothing to do with me. Um, and so I just want to say thank you um, for your prayers. And, again, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know that when we get to heaven, we're going to rejoice over the lives that have been changed through your giving, Uh, through your prayers, and so just want to say thank you from the bottom of our heart. Now, some of you might not know a lot about the ministry of Gospel for Asia. I won't make you raise your hands. I had you raise your hands for everything else. But if you'll go to the next slide, basically we have one thought in our mind day and night, and that's to plant local churches and see the Great Commission fulfilled. And so, you know, originally when we started this 20-whatever years ago, the first time Pastor Rich had Terry and we did one thing. We trained up native missionaries, national missionaries. We sent them to the village. We told them to dig the grave on the outskirts of town. If they had to die to reach that village with the gospel, could, to give their lives, wait for us in heaven, is a better place. And through their lives, there's been incredible things happening. And recently, in the last five or six years, the Lord's opened other doors for us. And the national missionaries are still the foundation, but today we have Bible colleges to produce national missionaries. We have a Bible society to, to produce Bible literature, because that's what missionaries need. We have a radio network about 113 language broadcasts. Uh, we got 1.8 million letters last year from people responding to the broadcast, asking for more information, testifying of salvation, healing, asking for Bibles. Uh, recently, about six months ago, we started the first Christian TV broadcast that I know of ever originated from within India. And already we're seeing just incredible fruit. And so as you go around, you know, with the tsunami in 94, God opened a door for us to begin to minister to downtrodden people in just incredible circumstances like floods and earthquakes and all that. And it's amazing because at those moments in time, uh, these people are open to hope. They're desperate for hope, and we have the incredible privilege of sharing the hope that they can find in Jesus. And while we do every one of these things with one thought in our mind, that a local church will be established, because that's where disciples are made. And we're called to make disciples, you know, the Great Commission. It's your work around Jesus Wells, um, Bridge of Hope I'll tell you about today, our women's ministry, we have a Christmas catalog. All these things that you know, we're able to do for one purpose, to open the doors to the gospel, to bring people into the kingdom. And so sometimes we confuse people. They see us doing all these different things, if you've been around us for a while. And, you know, what are you guys all about? We're about one thing. We're about planting churches and making disciples. And every one of these ways is just another way to accomplish it. So, It's like you use little different bait for different kinds of fish, but the end result is you want to pull them all in the boat. And so that's really what we're about. And so you can take that down. but just thought maybe that would help as a little background to understand, you know, um, God's just done some amazing stuff, and we're just seeing incredible fruit. So um, we now have, you know, 16,500 national missionaries. Um, We have now 67 major Bible colleges. It's about 8,000 students studying this year, and it's a little different than high school or college here. It's 18 hours a day, seven days a week for three years. At the time of graduation, they tell them to go to the village they've chosen, to dig their grave literally on the outskirts of town. If they have to die to reach that village with the gospel, to give their lives, wait for us in heaven, it's a better place. And we don't say that flippantly because we lose a half a dozen brothers nearly every year. They'll either be martyred or they'll lose their life to you know, disease or whatever, but they know that blood was the price that Jesus Christ had to pay for our salvation, right? And the servants no greater than the master, so they're willing to pay that price. But we're seeing now an average, like I said, between five and six thousand churches planted every single year by God's grace in some of the most unreached parts of the world. So God's doing some great stuff. And really this is a good time to stop and if we're honest about it, any time we're in ministry, you know, God does this stuff more in spite of us. Than he does because of us mm-hmm. and so you know I think so often God's on the throne looking down kind of going <laughs> ain't that cute you know they think they know what they're doing most of the time we have no clue I mean if we're really honest about it it's all him you know he uses us and if we didn't do it he would make the rocks to cry out mm-hmm. and so God deserves all the glory and so that's a little background our home office is in Dallas we have about 130 people there now um and they live with one passion, one all-consuming passion. That's that all of Asia might have a chance to hear the name Jesus. When they wake up in the morning, that's what they're thinking about. And they go to bed at night, that's what they're thinking about. And so um, that's just a little background. But if I'd have, let me have you turn to your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would. You know, there's a passage here. I would love to stand up here and tell you that I know everything there is about it. You know, I'm walking it out of my life, and man, I can just testify from the fact that I've got this down. Um, Pastor Rich asked me not to be lying up here too much today, so I can't do that, but I hope I'm learning. And the Lord's been challenging me what it means, and um, I just want to share this with you. Um, so let's look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Now, a few years ago, I bought kind of a cheap Bible, and uh, for some reason the words are getting fuzzier now. It must be just wearing out. I don't know. But um, we'll just stand back a ways and get a little bit into focus because I don't have my glasses. Okay, this is you then my son. Wow, that was impressive. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's pretty let's do that again. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Stop. Everybody look up here for a second. This passage is going to give you a lot of different instructions on different things, but the fact of the matter is the foundation of everything God calls us to do is his grace. And he will always give you the grace necessary to walk out the things he asks you to do. His grace is always sufficient. Hence the beginning. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Continue on. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs as he wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive his share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Now, the little part I want to really focus on today is verses 3 and 4. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs as he wants to please his commanding officer. Now, a little background. This is Paul sharing with Timothy, his son in the faith. Paul sitting in a Roman prison Timothy's pastoring a church kind of like this in Ephesus. And I mean, if you think about it, their lives are very, very different. Now, I'm sure Pastor Rich, I forgot to ask him, but he would say that pastoring you is not quite the same as sitting in a Roman prison. I mean, he's thinking. We'll get back to that. But I'm pretty sure he'll come to that conclusion. So their lives are incredibly different. Paul's in prison. You know. Timothy's pastoring a church. And yet Paul could say to him, endure hardship with us. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, if you think about it, it hardly makes any sense. Unless you think of other passages, you know, pray for those in prison as if you're there with them. And that kind of thing. You know, if you look at this, what Paul's really saying, boil it down, Paul's really saying to Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to make a decision to live your life, you know, as if you're here with me and endure hardship with us. Make a, life to, make a choice to take on our hardship and live your life almost, you know, as if you're here with us. And, and do this as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And, you know, I grew up in a military family, but I can't tell you that I really know what it means to be a soldier. But I'm trying to learn. And, you know, everyone wonder what it must have been like to travel with Paul? Yeah, I mean, to, you know, to be on Paul's team. I mean, you know, you're beaten up one day, and the next day you're stoned, the next day you're left to dead, thrown in the middle of the ocean, the next day, I mean, just, you know, incredible It's not day by day, but just incredible struggles that Paul went through. He's like the ultimate soldier of all time. But how did Paul get his people? You ever wonder how Paul came up with people who would do this kind of thing with him? Um, You know, I'm I'm kind of goofy. And one morning I was sitting there you know, having my morning cup of coffee, and suddenly I started thinking, okay, I'm back in Paul's time. I'm sitting at the coffee table, and I'm reading the Antioch Gazette. Okay. You did the sports section, you read through the news, and you know the weather and all the things that you do, and finally you come to the want ads. You open it up and it says workers want it, qualifications. Must be willing to face hardship, hunger, homelessness, nakedness, and cold. Must be willing to endure low pay or no pay, dangers, shipwreck, beatings, prison, and likely even death. Join with me, Paul, as I pour my life out as a drink offering. The benefits, they're eternal. In fact, they're all eternal. The purpose, that some might come to salvation. Now let me ask you, honestly, how many of us are going to jump up and go, Paul, I want to be on your team. You're going to send Paul an email. You're going to call a stole-free number. You know, that's, the, that's just not how we think in our culture, is it? I mean, we live in a culture that tells us to focus on ourselves and the idea of, embracing suffering, embracing hardship is like the most foreign thing there is and I'm learning what it means but i got a long ways to go. Let me ask you this. How many realize we're called to be soldiers? See, brothers and sisters, the truth is the moment we accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we're called to become radical maniac soldiers. Consumed with the thing that consumes our Lord and that's to touch every lost person we possibly can in the few seconds of time that we have left. You know, I've kind of come to the conclusion there's two kind of people in our world. I'm, I'm real simple, so I always like to boil things down to the simplest thing, and there's two kinds of people. There's soldiers and there's civilians, and their lives are very, very different. You know, for the civilian, their lives are consumed with comfort, pleasure, and entertainment. For the civilian, their eyes are basically on themselves. The civilian doesn't think about the war, until their own peace is threatened. And for the civilian, the battle isn't their problem. The battle belongs to somebody else. I mean, we sent guys to Afghanistan, right, and, and Iraq, but how much did our lives really change here, unless maybe one of them was one of your family members? We kind of went on about our lives very, very normally. That was their job, to go and fight the war. But see, the soldier's life is very, very different. The so- soldier's concerned only about the task Set before him by his commanding officer. The soldier will die if need be to win the war. For the soldier, they're disciplined and focused on winning the battle. Now, I've watched a lot of war movies throughout my life, and you know, I was thinking back one day and you know, bombs are flying, think of the parts you see, you know, everybody's shooting. You never see the guy jump behind the logs and go, you know, I wonder how the cowboys are doing today. I wonder if they're up in the third quarter, you know, because that's really important as a playoff game. No, they have one thought in their mind. They got well, maybe two. They got to keep their heads down and stay alive, and they got to defeat the enemy. They're focused. There's only one thing they think about, and that's winning the war. So the soldier is always focused on the battle, and for the soldier, the battle is very, very personal. It's his concern. It's not somebody else's problem. And as this passage says, the soldier always remains disentangled from civilian affairs. Basically. A soldier's life is not his own. He goes where the commanding officer tells him. He only goes where the commanding officer tells him to go. He does what he's told. He only does what he's told. The resources he has, you know, I grew up in a military town, and, you know, I don't ever remember going downtown and, and having a bunch of, you know, military guys run through town shooting off their M-16s. No, I bet the army thinks they should, have, they should use those things for the war. You know, use it for the battle. The resources God gives us, he always intends us, or the, that the commanding officer gives us, he always intends to be used for the battle. Well, how many of you realize we're in a war? See, I'm not talking about Afghanistan. I'm not talking about Iraq. I'm talking about a war that means the eternal destiny of one half the world's population. The reality today, depending on whose numbers in the missions world you believe, and sometimes some of the numbers are kind of goofy, but worst case scenario, boil it all down, worst case scenario, some 3 billion people, nearly one half the world's population, are unreached with the gospel. Most have never heard Jesus' name for the very first time. Now, bear in mind, they've all heard the name Coca-Cola. They're still waiting to hear the name Jesus. If you go to India, Pastor Rich mentioned this. There's still, it said, nearly 500,000 villages. were never in history as a Christian walked into that village with the good news of Jesus Christ. And tragically, brothers and sisters, today in South Asia, some 80,000 people will plunge into hell. Without ever having had the privilege we just had, they don't know that Jesus ever walked on the face of the earth. My friends, we're in a war. And it's a war that means the eternal destiny of one half the world's population. And you know, if I could help you understand their lives, you know, the people of Asia, uh, India, for instance, a country of 1.2 billion people, uh, they, you know, 80% Hindu, the Hindus believe in the caste system. Are you familiar with at least the term the caste system? Basically, you know, top 8 or 10% kind of run the country and you work your way down to different levels. You get to the servants, the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. They're the slaves, the untouchables or the Dalits. These are people who live their lives, the worst kind of slavery, the worst kind of devastation you can imagine. They're not considered to be human beings in their culture. They're considered less valuable than dogs and cats. What you have to understand is there's some 300 million untouchables or Dalits. In the nation of India to live the lives of the worst kind of devastation you could imagine. And you know, ladies, you need to praise God every single day that you had the privilege to be born or live in a country like America. In John chapter 4, Jesus would walk half a day to the talk of the woman at the wall. Why? Because Jesus values women. The rest of the world doesn't. They're possessions, more or less. I've been doing some research because we're getting ready to do a documentary on the plight of women. And I've been in ministry twenty years. I've now I've been to India I don't know how many times and but I was shocked at some of the stuff that I read. And the best way to explain it to you, ladies imagine a little tiny baby. Now, our oldest daughter, Terry, just announced that she's pregnant and we're gonna be grandparents. So imagine you're that little tiny baby in your mama's womb. When your mommy finds out that you're a little girl, they're going to abort you most likely. Assuming you, and maybe that doesn't shock you because we have abortion in this country, unfortunately, but if, the, if you have the privilege to survive that and be born, most likely your parents are going to kill you. I just read a story of a woman. She had twins, a little boy and a little girl. They rejoiced over the little boy. They had a little party. The girl, they took her up in a second story level of their house and threw her off into the street. To watch her die why because she has no value it's just another mouth to feed assuming you can survive that and you grow into a young woman there's hundreds of thousands of young women every year who are sold off into the sex slave industry in, in Asia where most likely they're going to be until they die of AIDS okay you survive that and you get married every year there's over 8,000 confirmed cases of bride burning in the nation of India What it means is that the parents don't pay enough dowry, so the new husband basically douses his new wife with kerosene and burns her to death. Literally one every hour, and those are only the confirmed cases. It's said that there's hundreds of thousands, maybe even greater than that. Okay, you get past that, you know, and your husband accepts you. Now, sometime your husband dies and you're a widow. It's your fault. In this culture, your own family is going to consider you a curse. They're going to kick you out into the streets. Or you're going to spend the rest of your life as a beggar or maybe as a prostitute, unless you commit suicide. It's said that in parts of India, the suicide rate is 10 times the world's norm. And brothers and sisters, my Jesus loves these women with an everlasting love. And he wants them to know his love, his grace, and his mercy. He wants the Dalits to know his love, his grace, and his mercy. And I can't change the culture for these women, but I can send a missionary into their village to tell them about Jesus. And it will revolutionize their lives as they hear there's a God in heaven who loves them and who values them. And they accept Christ. They come into a community like this where they're treated with you know, love and kindness and dignity. And they're taught to read and write. And many times we're able to give them like a sewing machine or something like that where they could install a small, small job, and you know, a work. A, you know, they can take care of themselves. Business, thank you. Where they can take care of themselves. Brothers and sisters, we're in a war. And it's a war literally that means the eternal destiny of one half the world's population. Well, the Dalits for generations have been looking for some way to find freedom for their people. They considered armed revolution, but they realized they would never find peace through revolution. Finally, they made a decision they were going to leave Hinduism. They came across a Christian or a Bible. It's a long, long story. They became convinced that Jesus was the only true source of peace they could find. And so... They went to a very liberal wing of the Christian church and said, we're all going to become Christians because we're leaving Hinduism. And these liberal Christians were so afraid of the persecution they turned them away. They said, okay, the Christians don't want us. I mean, there was a point in time when they thought this would start a civil war in India. It was that intense. So their, their fear is very real. Well, they said the Christians don't want us. They went to the Dalai Lama and said, look, we're all going to become Buddhists. Uh, and so November 4th of 2001, there's a huge media with the first one million we're going to convert to Buddhism. Okay. Long, long story. Fast forward. K.P. Johanan, who's our present founder, he found out about these people. He began to approach them, began to open their hearts to us. Pretty soon, all they're talking about is Jesus. They're absolutely convinced that Jesus is the only true source of peace they can find, and they make a decision that basically they're all going to follow Jesus. Now, we still got to do all the work of talking to them individually and all that, but as a group... They're thinking, man, Jesus is the only answer. They're so convinced, they went to the next group up in the caste system called the other backward castes and said, you should do the same thing, and they have, and there's uh, 400 million of them. Now, the numbers are staggering. We're talking about two groups of people, some 700 million people. You know, one out of nine people on planet Earth who are totally wide open to the gospel. All we have to do is go and tell them. My friends, it's the single greatest opportunity literally in the history of the world. We're talking about a group of people equivalent to the combined population of North America and Europe. Right now, they're wide open to the gospel. What more could we ever ask for? There has never been an opportunity like this literally in the history of the world. Well, as we're reaching out to these people, Brother KP, he came across to one man who was in his office. He's the head of the Banjara clan. He represents about 62 million people. Again, the numbers are staggering. But he's, he's 85 years old. He's in KP's office weeping. He said, look, we're slaves to the upper caste. We have no hope. We have no future. They're like 90, 95% illiterate. He said, we want to follow your Jesus, but we didn't even know how to read the book that you talk about. Would you please start some schools to teach our kids to read and write so they could teach us to follow your Jesus? And Honestly, at that moment in time, that's not the kind of thing that we did. We did one thing. We raised up missionaries. We sent them to the villages. We told them to live or die to preach, but plant a church. And the idea of taking care of these kids long-term was incredibly foreign to us. In fact, KP, be really honest, he'd say God had to bring us to a point of repentance because we were missing a part of God's heart for these people. And so we wanted to reach out to them. We started about a dozen little primary schools. And these little primary schools became evangelism factories. All the little kids gave their lives to Jesus, and the parents are coming to us saying, who's this Jesus you're talking about? And everywhere there was a little school, a church was planted. And we were just shocked. Again, as I mentioned, most of the time we have no clue. But fortunately, God knows what he's doing. Well, it wasn't long after that, and uh, I might have shared this here before, but it wasn't long after that that kp had a dream. Now, he'd be the first to say that he's not a great dreamer. Here's your basic... Hamburger and French fry kind of guy. But he had this amazing dream one night. He's late. You know, late at night, he's asleep, which, okay, that's where you have dreams. I'll get there. Forgive me for a second here. But, you know, he's looking out at millions of acres of the most incredible harvest field he'd ever seen. And he realized immediately it was like the final harvest, you know, that scripture alludes to. And he got so excited. He started running toward this harvest field, jumping down saying, Lord, it's all ours. We got it. It's all ours. It's all going to be brought in. And suddenly he came to a cliff. Right here, between where he, where he stood on this cliff and his harvest field was a river that was so wide. You know, you could never build a bridge across it. So fast, so deep, you could never swim across it. And he began to despair. He said, Lord, you know, the, the, the harvest is ripe, but the, the monsoons are coming. The whole thing's going to be destroyed. God, what do we do? What do we do? And as he's crying out to God in this dream, suddenly this bridge began to appear untouched by human hands, Right where he stood, built itself all the way to the other side of the river. He knew it had to be the hand of God. And as he looked at it, it was filled with millions of faces of little children. And the Lord said really, really clearly, you want to see this harvest come in, it's all yours. But you must respond to the needs of the children through their lives. This harvest will come in. You see, India, South Asia has some 90 million children that go hungry every single day. In India alone, there's more than 134 million children between the ages of 7 and 18, never been to a school. It's said in India alone, there's more than 50 million child laborers. Little kids, sometimes five, six years old, their parents are so destitute, they're the children of the dollars, they're so destitute, a family emergency comes along, the only thing they could do to meet the emergency is to take one of their children and sell them off to the bonded labor man. And in the next 10 or 12 years, these little children have to work 18 hours a day, sometimes chained, To a factory, a machine in a factory, in order to pay off the debts of their parents. And these are the children that the Lord's saying, respond to the needs of these children. And so that dream was the beginning of what we call the Bridge of Hope. It's a children's ministry, a sponsorship ministry, $28 a month. We're able to sponsor these children into a school. They've never been to a school before. We have like 17-year-old first graders. And then after school, we take them for four hours and we teach them from the Word of God. We teach them Bible stories and scripture passages and memorizing things. It's so cool. You know, they get medical attention and hot meal, probably the only hot meal they get in that entire day. And then we send them home to tell their parents. And God has been doing some amazing things. You know, one little girl, she's seven years old. She's responsible for 13 of her family members coming to Christ. There's a one Bridge of Hope Center, and these centers have between 75 and 200 children. Most of the time, they're about 150. One Bridge of Hope Center, they baptized 500 adults in the first few months of the school year. It's been absolutely amazing to see what God is doing and to share with you what the change in these children's lives. Um, There's one of our centers by Calcutta on the east side of India in the state of West Bengal. And in these Bridge of Hope Centers, the leaders are always looking to connect the children to Jesus. Now, they're so desperately poor... Every day there's the kids that come that are sick. And so every day they're taking an opportunity to gather the children, lay hands on them, and pray for them. And God in his mercy touches these little children in an amazing way. And there's a group of young eight-year-olds, a little boy there, uh, kind of the leader of the group. He looked at it and said, you know, this doesn't look that hard. I think I can do that. And so they, a little group of eight of them began to pray for all their little friends every day that were sick. And the Lord began to move through their lives and began to heal them. And their faith just grew and grew and grew. They heard about a young man in the community who had a brain tumor. And they asked if they could go pray for him. Now, it's like a half an hour, 45-minute walk away. But they went there and, you know, imagine you're this young man. He's about 14 years old or 13 or 14 years old. You hear a knock on the door and there's like 64 years of people out there. But it's in little tiny pieces because there's all these little 8-year-old kids. And so he comes in and he sits down and now you've got 16 hands all over your body as they're laying hands on him, fervently crying out to God. And nothing happened. Well, they went back for four more days. On the fifth day, the Lord healed this young man. We actually have pictures of the CAT scan before and after showing that the brain tumor has gone. Well, everybody in the community heard about it. And now everybody comes to the Bridge Hope Center. Whoever's sick in the community comes to the Bridge Hope Center to ask these little eight-year-old kids to pray for them. And they're praying for Hindus. They're praying for Muslims and Jains and all these different people. And the amazing thing, I sent our videographer to to cover this story because it's such a cool story. And and, uh, the first video we got back showed them every day at lunchtime, they go outside the Bridge Hope Center and sit in a big circle by the street. Now there's about 15 or 20 of them. And every person that walks by, they ask if they could pray for them. And you see these men and women sit down. These little kids gather around them. And God ministers these people in an amazing way. This thing has now spread to three different villages by God's grace. The cool thing, until a couple months before this, these little kids had never heard the name Jesus. God radically changes their lives. And it's been amazing to see all that God has done. You know, there's so many areas. Our missionaries, when they go there, they get beaten up and, you know, they'll go back and back and back. But eventually, oftentimes, they, finally, the Lord will speak to their heart and say, this isn't working. They'll take some time to fast and pray and, and you know, ask the Lord for wisdom. Well, a couple of our brothers are doing this, and the Lord told them to go to different villages, you know, and start a Bridge of Hope Center. So this one missionary, he approached eight different villages. In the first seven villages, they tore up his stuff. They kicked him out. They beat him up. Finally, the eighth village, I mean, really persevered, the eighth village, the leader said, yeah, let's do this thing. And so they started the Bridge of Hope Center in that village. And a couple months later, about three months later, I think, it was late one night, there's a knock at the door, and he opens the door, and here's the leader of the seven villages, the ones that, all, that they beat him up. I mean, put yourself in his place, like, you know, come in. I mean, tea, you know, what, what are they thinking, right? And they walked in, they were... Pretty sheepish, actually. And they said, you know, we've been watching this village, and we realized that your God is taking this village forward. Mm-hmm. Our gods are taking our villages backwards. Would you please come to our village to start a Bridge Hope Center now? And the Lord spoke to his heart to say no, because they weren't ready yet. And a couple weeks later, because he said, look, if I start a Bridge Hope Center, we're going to be teaching from the Word of God. We're going to teach them about Jesus. And they didn't want that yet. So two weeks later, they came back, another knock at the door, and they said, please Come. And so they started seven Bridge of Hope centers in those, thing, in those villages. Within a short time, we had 11 churches planted in those villages and the villages around them. It's been absolutely amazing to see what God has done. My friends, it's harvest time right now. It's never been harvest time, literally in the history of the world. And God is moving. And you know, I wanna want to show that video in about a minute if we could get that ready. I have a little video I want to show you. I could try to tell you stories all day long to help you understand the reality of this thing, but I think this little video will do a far better job than I ever could. So it's about three minutes long and then I'll come back and finish up. So if you want to bring that video up, now would be a great time. Thanks.
2: She is eight years old. Her home is a hut made of red Going to school is an impossible dream. She is a Dalit. Viewed as subhuman by the Hindu caste system, her people are commonly assaulted, raped, murdered. Deep in their hearts, they hunger for love and reassurance, to be told for once that their lives are worth something. Gospel for Asia has long wanted to tell these people that Jesus loves them and offers them hope But how? Now, God has provided a way to reach them through their children. Of hope. You can help build this bridge of hope by sponsoring a child today. For $35 a month, you can give a child an education, clothing, food, and medical care. And most of all, you give your child the message of Christ's love and hope for the future. sponsor your Bridge of Hope Child today. Simply fill out this card and bring it to the GFA table. You will receive a picture and information about the child you'll be helping.
1: They say one picture's worth a thousand words and I think that's true. You know um, I mentioned to Pastor Rich and Paul last night. In one state of North India, there's a population of about 200 million people. We're talking two-thirds of the population of the United States in a state the size of uh, New Mexico. This particular area is 14 one of a percent Christian. So if you're a math major, that's like really, really small. If you're not, it's still really small actually, but it doesn't, doesn't matter much either way. But recently, 2,000 families came to us saying they wanted to follow Jesus. We were just shocked. I mean, praise God, but what made you decide to do that? And they said, look, we've been watching. There's a Bridge Hope Center not far from there. We've been watching that Bridge Hope Center. We realized that your people love our children. Your God must be a God of love. And we want to follow a God like that. And now it turns out that in that area, there's eight entire communities that have made the decision to follow Jesus. Now, for them, it's kind of a political thing, but what it does is a two-step process. We've welcomed them into the church, but now we have a chance to you know, to disciple them. What more could we want, right? Well, hearing this, I was in India back, and Kathy and I back in January, and they asked, we had a couple days, you know, where do you want to visit on our way home? And I wanted to go to that area. I wanted to go to one of those, one of those communities. And so the one we went to is a very, very small community. It's only about 600 people. Some of them are 10, 20,000, 30,000 people. They're huge. But this is a smaller one, and it's a group of people that uh, they're incredibly violent. They're nomadic. A lot of them are in jail, the men. And it turns out that the entire village has given their lives to Christ, about 600 people. Uh, that The weekend before we were there, they baptized the last 25. Even the men in jail have given their lives to Christ. Every Nearly every house had a cross on it. They've all taken Bible names. I thought, wow, how incredible. Think about an entire town. Well, it turns out it's all because of a Bridge of Hope Center being planted nearby. Well, they had a little church service. It was like Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock, which you know, it's not the prime time for church, you know, but uh, I don't know, there's probably 75 or, and the place was packed out, mostly with women and children, and all the men were out in the fields, and so they make us sit up front and look out, you're kind of the honored guest, which is a little bit awkward, but gives you a good viewpoint. So I was watching, and, and I realized there's a man over in the corner, he's an older man, he didn't seem to fit in, he, he wasn't opposed, but he wasn't entering in, the worship is just thunderous, because Jesus has so transformed their lives. And afterwards, he came to the pastor, the missionary, and said, you know, I walked 10 kilometers a day to come meet you because I heard you were going to be here. I'm the leader of a village about 10 kilometers away, and I came here to ask you if you would please do the same thing in my village. I thought, how cool to be there and see this, what he's talking about as a church. And then he said, but wait wait a minute, I have five more villages right next to ours who want the same thing. Mm -hmm. My friends, it's harvest time right now. Like, it's literally never been harvest time in the history of the world, and God is moving. But, you know, harvest time is a fixed time. You can't harvest the crop before it's ripe. You wait too long, it rots in the vine. Mm-hmm. Harvest time is a time, if you're a farmer, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, with this one crazy thought, I've got to get the harvest in before it's, you know, it's lost, right? Well, that's where we are today. It's harvest time. Mm-hmm. And you're probably thinking to yourself, John, you seem kind of confused. And, you know, that's fair. <laughs> I. Spend most of my time there. Um, You know, you're talking about this whole soldier thing, and then now you're talking about all these kids. What in the world are you thinking about? I think that's fair. (laughs) Um, But you know, guys, there's every war has a battle. It's kind of a pivotal battle. It's maybe a little too strong of an illustration, but let me use it anyway. You win this battle, you win the war. That's very much like where we are today. We have 700. Million people. One out of nine people on planet Earth right now, they're wide open to the gospel. All we got to go do is go and tell them. All we have to do is send some workers out there to tell them about Jesus Christ. If there has ever been a time for the church in the West to stand up and live their lives as soldiers, I'm including myself in this, the Lord's challenge. Is there ever a time for me to live my life as a soldier? That time is right now. How long do we have? I don't know. When does the the harvest rot on the vine, I don't know, but I know this. They're wide open now, and they're coming to Christ in huge numbers, but it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the potential. The leaders in India were talking about the potential of 100 million people coming to Christ. Can you imagine? We get to eternity, we look out at it, 100 million people that we would have the privilege to help tell about Jesus. Guys, I can't think of a greater privilege. And you know what it means is I need to live my life as a soldier right now to make a decision to enter into their suffering, which I think what Paul was really telling Timothy, make a decision to enter into our suffering. And you know something, that's where we are today. And I don't know that there's ever, ever been a time like this. So I want to just ask you, you know, many of you have you know, stood behind us for many years and we're so grateful This has nothing to do with that exactly, but I'm just so grateful. But I want to challenge you too. I want to say thank you for all you've done, but I also want to challenge you. We have a few seconds of time left. Let's do all that we can in the few seconds that we have left to touch every lost person possible because that's the heart of our Jesus. Make it simple, brothers and sisters. There's only two things here worth living for. Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as intimately as you possibly can and embracing every lost person you possibly can, and taking them into eternity with you. Everything else here is going to burn. Peter says, this is all going to burn. And when all of this is going to burn, what kind of people ought you to be? We have to live holy and godly lives looking forward to the day of God, and to speed, it's coming. I think that applies today. The Lord's challenging me what it means to be a soldier. And so, I need to wrap this up real quick, and... Uh, I just have two or three practical suggestions that I'd like to give you. And I, The message is much greater than the messenger. I struggle with these things every single day. I know I will as long as I'm clothed in this flesh. And if you don't believe me, you can talk to Kathy. You know, she'll tell you that you know, my limitations are virtually unlimited. Um, but just as a brother in Christ, first of all, please get a world map. Put it up in a prominent place in your home. Now, one of my friends told me the first time he heard that, he realized for him that it had to be in front of the TV or the refrigerator. Whatever. Ladies, you can color coordinate the thing if you want to. Whatever you need to do. But allow the world to dominate your home. You know, when you hear about something, some 700 million people, let's get down on our knees and begin to cry out to God that he would use this to draw them into the kingdom. You know, we'll win this battle as the church in the West wears out the knees of its pants, crying out to the living God. Please be a people who take prayer seriously. Our God answers prayer. Secondly, when you go home today, take an inventory of your life. Look at the things that consumes your time, your emotions, your energies, your resources. Ask yourself a simple question. What do these things mean for eternity? Today when 80,000 people will plunge into hell, what am I living my life for? And guys, I'm not here to put you on some kind of a guilt trip. And Jesus isn't going to beat you over the head with a stick. He's a gracious, merciful God. But the first time I did this, I realized it was the most humbling thing I've ever done. I realized that 99% of the things I lived for were for me. The other 1% I threw out there when you were looking just to convince you how spiritual I was. You know, ask the Lord how you can simplify your life. Why? So the world can hear the name Jesus. You know, I could tell you whole stories, uh, stories of whole villages that have come to Christ because of a gospel tract costs less than two cents. You know, less than we spend for a stick of chewing gum. Why simplify our lives? So the world can hear the name Jesus. And my friends, there's no rules to this thing. You can't look at my life for Pastor Rich or your neighbor. Just ask the Lord to speak to you through his Holy Spirit and then simply be obedient. But you know, the truth is, we could reach the nations in this generation if the church in America would stop buying cable TV. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that, and although it's not that good. Anyway, that's, that's a different topic. We'll not go there right now, but... Just ask the Lord what he would have you to do. And then finally, if you feel like the Lord would give you the grace today and you would like to link your life with one or more of these children, let me just explain how it works. There's no obligation whatsoever. I know many of you already do, but I wouldn't want to miss the opportunity to give you an incredible privilege. So let me just explain how it works. Um, It takes $35 a month to to support one of these children. Um, I could blow $35 in a month's time on candy bars or coffee or Coke. Or Pepsi, you know, depending on what side of that huge battle you're on there. But, you know, or I can see my lifestyle change a little bit and see a whole group of people come to know my Lord. And that's really the heart's desire and you know, what we're sharing. So there's a card in your bulletin. If you just look at it, there's, again, no obligation or you were given when you came in. If you want to bring that card up back there, it looks like this, green stripe, purple stripe. Again, no obligation, but let me just explain how, how it works. Is yes, I want to help a child of Asia. Uh, starting now, our prayerfully, I'll spon- uh, sponsor blank children at $35 a month um, and the total. What it means is if you feel like God's giving you the grace and you'd like to do one child, it's $35 a month, two is $70, three is $105. You can do more. I just can't do all the math up here right now. Um, all you have to do is fill out the card and come back to the table in the back. And For each child you decide to support, we're going to give you a packet that looks like this. It has a picture of your child you know, has their testimony about their family and everything. And I want to encourage you, take this little child home and let them become a part of your family. Recently, somebody came to us after one of our meetings and said, look, I have four children. We have four children. And so we want to sponsor four Bridge of Hope children because I want my kids to grow up, realize there's people out there that don't know our Lord and they could link their lives to them. I thought, what a great idea. You know, some of you, maybe you want to be grandparents. You want 25 or 30 grandkids. (laughs) This is a great way to do it. Um, singles you can get a child today this way Um, there's no labor pains there's no medical bills any of those things all you got to do is fill out the card and bring it to the back what you need to know is every penny you give 100% will go to the mission field for the benefit of your child we don't take anything out for administrative expenses all of our staff as I mentioned we have to raise our own support before we join the ministry and so every penny you give will go towards that child Um, you don't have to have any money today to do this uh, just fill out the card we'll send you a letter you can start you know work out whatever it works out best for you but you know there's a day not long from today and I'll close with this I think it's becoming very very close Revelation says we're all going to look out at a sea of faces that no man can number some white some black some brown some red some yellow I mean there may be a couple green ones I don't know but they're all going to be worshipping the living God and somebody's going to come to you and say thank you you're going to go what did I do And they're going to say, you're the one who sent me to the Bridge Hope Center. And I learned about Jesus, and I told Mom and Dad, who told their friends, who told their neighbors. My friends, that's the day this will all make sense. So I guarantee you at that moment in time, you're not going to look back and say, oh, what a sacrifice. If anything, we're going to have regret that we didn't pour our lives out in a greater way. May God give us grace, my precious brothers and sisters, to embrace every lost person we possibly can while there's yet time because I think that's what it means to be a soldier. And if you give me one more minute, two more minutes, let me just tell you about a couple of the books we have in the back. Uh, The first is No Longer Slumdog. You know, it's one thing to have some crazy guy drop by here every few years, and it's another thing to take some materials home with you that the Lord can use to remind you. If you're like me, I forget so easily. That's probably why I have to do this every weekend, because I couldn't remember otherwise. But this is a book that talks about... Dozens and dozens of testimonies about these children, how God has radically changed their lives. It's an incredibly encouraging book. It'll touch your heart. But it's an amazing book if you want to see the incredible change that Jesus makes in their lives. The suggested donation is only $3. And the second book is Revolution of World Missions. It tells a testimony of the ministry. More than anything, it shares Jesus' passion for the lost world. If you didn't get a copy of either of these books, I would encourage you don't leave without getting a copy of the suggested donation. Either one of them is only $3. And if it doesn't impact your life, call me. I'll send your money back. The last book is The Road to Reality, Coming Home to Jesus from the Unreal World. The gist of the message, this is not the real world. The real world's eternity. So if you want to focus your eyes on eternity by living a simpler, more scaled back lifestyle, using your resources to reach the lost, get a copy of this book. And I think the suggested donation is $8. Uh, we have world maps back there too and anyway all these things are available we're not here to make money if you got the money today and you want to get the books please do but if you're here today you don't have any money you want to take some books home with you please do you can send your money later when your ship comes in or you know whatever happens we just want to put the materials in your hands so I just want to say thank you Pastor Rich thank you for allowing me the privilege to be here and thank you for coming my boss made me come but you guys had a choice and so um, thank you so much for all you've done But let's push forward strong to the end because then we have eternity to rest. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you so much for my precious brothers and sisters. and Lord, thank you that we have the incredible privilege to know about you, your goodness, your grace. And Lord, if they're like me, I forget so easily. So help us, Lord Jesus, to follow in your footsteps, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And, Lord, to live with your passion for the lost world. Help us to be soldiers. And I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I ask you to bless them, bless this fellowship, Pastor Rich. And, uh, Father, I thank you for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.